You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, To Marry or Not to Marry. Now looking at staying single. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Want to win a chance for a free tour of Israel? From March 1st to June 8th, Douglas's new website subscribers have the chance to be entered into a draw for a free tour. There are two ways to win. You can become a new website member or ask a friend to sign up. Then email confirmation of the subscriptions by replying to Douglas's newsletter. There's no limit to the number of entries. Sign up five friends, be entered five times. The winner will be announced in early July. Now here's today's teaching. You're about to listen to a podcast on staying single. I believe the Bible teaches that those who are unmarried should remain unmarried, especially if they have the gift of celibacy. Now I know this is a stark statement, but I ask you to hear me out. In fact, I've been asking audiences to hear me out on this point for many years, and certainly in the last 10 years, I have taught on this with conviction. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. We should teach too that there's something uh, very good for many people about the decision not to marry. Now, you may wonder, well, isn't God's plan, going all the way back to Genesis, that the man needs a wife so he won't be alone? And isn't the purpose of marriage to uh, fill the world, to populate the planet? Well, of course, there's a lot we can say about that. But what is held up as the ideal or the norm is never held up as something that would be without exception. We're not less spiritual if we never marry. We're not necessarily incomplete as persons, though there's a wonderful complementarity between male and female. Otherwise, Jesus made a mistake. And as we all come back to the Lord, we'll see. This does make us think and rethink. So Genesis 2 suggests that marriage is the norm. And in human societies, it has been the norm. It remains the norm. But it never says that we sin if we don't follow that norm. There are two passages in the New Testament that we must wrestle with. And one is found in Matthew 19. It's after Jesus challenges his Uh, disciples on the sanctity of marriage, the the evil of divorce, and the standard is so high that they react in this way, Matthew 19.10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but on whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. We don't frequently speak about eunuchs in the modern world. Although there are some countries, for example, India, where you meet them quite often. But Jesus talks about three kinds of eunuchs. Now, normally a eunuch is, uh, in, ancient, in the ancient world, um, a male who 
at a young age, uh, presumably at birth, uh, has been castrated, and he would uh, operate freely in the palace, have the confidence in the ear of the king. Uh, some would say that there's no danger of him molesting the harem. If a child is born, it will never be his, so there'll never be a battle for succession, and that may be the case as well. But it was so common that in the Old Testament, the word for eunuch, uh, which is saris, is the same as the word for official. They're so similar because so many officials were eunuchs that there's a kind of a semantic blur between those two terms. So Jesus knows that this is a hard teaching. It won't go down well that some people should consider not marrying. So what are these three classes? Some are born that way. Some people are born without the equipment. I mean, they just uh, genetically, um, it's a, through, through some kind of a birth defect, they're not going to be able to have normal sexual relations. Then he talks about those who have been made eunuchs by others. I think he refers here to castration, as in the ancient world. And, and this is where I want us to focus now, he says there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So that's a choice. And he's not talking about uh, making ourselves eunuchs, as one of the famous scholars of the third century did. Uh, he, he took this rather too literally and uh, castrated himself. No, this is a decision to live like a eunuch. Now, the second passage is in 1 Corinthians 7. The entire chapter is about the wisdom of marriage or refraining, uh, giving one's daughter marriage or not, and particularly in the climate the intense uh, climate uh, morally of uh, Corinth, the pagan world. And so let me read the beginning of 1 Corinthians 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Let me pause there. Because punctuation marks are not in the original text. Uh, some translators take the words, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, they take that as a, a quotation. In other words, Paul is commenting on what the Corinthians were saying, that the Corinthians wrote to him, and they wrote to him about this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Or these could be the words of Paul. You could take it either way. It's not really going to change our conclusion. And he speaks of the importance of uh, sexual intercourse in marriage, not denying uh, the spouse. If you're a wife who denies her husband or your husband who's uh, aloof and, and not fulfilling this duty to his wife, um, we do wrong. I think we sin. Uh, he gives one exception, which is uh, for the sake of prayer. And given how short most of us tend to pray, it's probably just a short exception. Um uh, to, to hold off uh, from sexual relations just for the purpose of, of a kind of a fast with prayer, but then to come together again. But then Paul says something very interesting in verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish all of you were as I am. But each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Well, what is the gift he's referring to? 
In chapter 12, he'll refer to a number of miraculous gifts. He also refers, for example, in Romans 12, to gifts of administration, leadership, or giving cheerfully. Peter refers to a gift of hospitality in 1 Peter 4. In Ephesians, Paul speaks of the gift to the church that the apostles were, or the prophets. Well, the gift here is the gift of celibacy. And Paul says, I wish that all were as I am. Now, he's not saying that we fall short if we're not, because he casts the discussion in uh, the framework of gift. If God has gifted us to remain single, not to marry, uh, we can use that gift. We should use that gift. That would be the way of wisdom and greatest effectiveness. But those who don't have it uh, should marry or should uh, assume that that's their trajectory. I don't believe I had the gift of celibacy. I married uh, just a few days after I turned 26. My wife, just a few days before she became 24. Uh, We've been married uh, around 30 years, very happily married. We love each other. We love being married. I'm not trying to speak hypocritically to heavy burden on others, but I know many brothers and sisters who are happier not married and uh, who actually would have serious, significant problems, difficulties if they were married. You know, Paul continues uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, in the middle of the chapter, to tell us that marriage is hard. Uh, Those who marry, he says, will have many troubles, and they'll be distracted. They want to serve the Lord, but sometimes uh, priorities make decision-making quite challenging. I think it's important, particularly if you are a brother or sister who addresses audience uh, audiences about marriage to be truthful not to portray it as the end of all the problems for the single person the solution that will mean you're never again lonely or you never again will struggle with lust you'll never uh, wonder about your purpose you you will have arrived so to speak that's certainly not the way it's portrayed in the bible it's not the way paul portrays it in fact he says uh, you will be tempted, you'll be torn, Uh, you'll want to serve the Lord, but you need to take care of your wife and the things of family. And so no wonder, considering Paul's lifestyle, uh, all the times he was in or shipwrecked, constantly on the move, that he chose to remain unmarried. Each has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Okay, those are the scriptures Jesus says that those who can accept it, being eunuchs, that is, uh, metaphorically speaking, should accept it. And Paul follows Jesus, just as he follows Jesus um, in Matthew 19 in the following paragraphs of 1 Corinthians 7. So what about celibacy? Where does that come from? And what is it? And, and, And why is the Catholic Church all hung up on this? And why are the Greek Orthodox priests allowed to marry, but not the Catholics? And is that healthy? Well, we could have quite a long podcast if I wanted to go into all that. So I hope you'll uh, forgive me for simplifying a bit. In the second century, there was a growing movement. It was actually the, the number one challenge to Christianity. It was kind of a perversion of Christianity called Gnosticism, which said that the entire physical world is evil. The creator God is an inferior, inferior deity. God would never come to our planet incarnate 
That is, Jesus might have looked as though he had a body, but he wouldn't because matter is evil. Certainly sex and procreation are evil. This is Gnosticism, where one is saved not so much from sin as saved from ignorance. And, and it's a... Uh, if you want to learn more about this, um, there, there are many articles uh, about this at my website. Perhaps you want to explore. But this was the number one false doctrine of the second century. And some of the Gnostics celebrated uh, licentious living, but probably more, if I'm understanding this heresy correctly, probably more of them uh, were very harsh. They had ascetic tendencies, like the end of Colossians 2, the harsh treatment of the body. That doesn't really make you any more spiritual. And so the church is reacting to Gnosticism. And passages have been claimed, well, actually, even as early as 1 Clement 38, I'm not sure that that's referring to celibacy. Uh, First Clement is written actually right before the beginning of the second century. And then you have documents like the Shepherd of Hermas uh, in the early second century that seems to support celibacy even for the married people. Uh, you have writers later on like um, Clement of Alexandria or Tertullian that, incur that encourage Christians not to remarry even if your wife dies, even if your husband dies, which it seems to go directly against the apostolic teaching. Think of Romans 7. And you can, uh, in the notes that accompany this podcast, I will put some references if you want to do the, the, the work and, and read those second century sources. But from the late second century, maybe around the year 175, the word that was used for celibacy pretty consistently is the word anochia. Anochia is the Greek word for the state of being a eunuch. And so, although the early church, in my opinion, uh, overreacted to Gnosticism, embraced celibacy uh, too much, this doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, celibacy is not just uh, avoiding sex or not marrying. It's, it, it's more than that. So celibacy is a decision one would take, and I would emphasize two components. Okay, and, it was, and maybe strictly speaking, you're celibate if you don't marry, but we don't normally think of the term as not, in, not uh, engaging in sex, because there's certainly plenty of people who aren't married who engage in sex, and, and that's even true in denominational clergy. But there are two components. In marriage, there's the physical component, the sexual component, but there's also... Uh, the aspect of companionship. And when I talk to brothers and sisters who are considering marriage or considering celibacy, I ask them, what are your needs? And often they'll say, well, I just don't have much of a sex drive. I don't think it's that important to me. And I say, what about the companionship? Are you content not having a life partner, someone that you'll be intimate with in that way? whether or not um, you know, we focus on the sexual side. And many will say, well, no, I really need, I need that intimate relationship. I need the companionship. Well, that person should marry. So it, to be eunuchs, to be celibate, would require two things, that we don't need uh, the sexual uh, aspect and we're content and to an extent, being alone. I mean, having the relationships that come with all Christian fellowship, but 
but nothing more. So putting it all together, what does this mean? Well, it means there's a real disconnect between our common tradition and what's in the Bible. And I think the the second century writings don't really prove anything, but they certainly illustrate a very different viewpoint about being single than most people I know have. So let me just say three more things. I want to talk about who should stay single, that is, make a uh, this commitment to be celibate. And I want to say something about teasing, and then I'll have a, a just a final comment. Who should stay single? Well, as Jesus says, those who can accept it, as Paul puts it, those who have that gift, anyone who can should remain single. And I remember the first time I spoke uh, in a singles event some 10 years ago, I just had two points. This was the keynote speech. And one of the points was, don't marry, stay single forever. And then I gave the, the qualification, unless you don't have the gift. And I remember in that audience, there were quite a few singles who were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who were tremendously relieved and affirmed, and they should have been, because some of them had the gift of celibacy. Who should stay single? Those with the gift. Perhaps those with certain sexual struggles. Someone says, I'm just not attracted. I'm a woman, and I'm not attracted to men. I'm a man, and I'm not attracted to women. Uh, possibly. Uh, there's no law that says you have to marry. You should stay single. Maybe others with other sexual struggles. Quite possibly those who, like Jesus, are destined to die young. I mean, think of someone parachuting into a hostile land where Christianity is illegal, someone who will quite likely be captured and executed, certainly for that man to begin a family and then leave behind uh, fatherless children and, and a widow would not be well advised. Also, this decision uh, would be for those who, like Paul, people like the Apostle Paul, who lead a lifestyle that's inimical to marriage. Just the way Paul lived, it would have been extremely hard. I'm not saying I think it would have been wrong. In fact, Paul even says, hey, I have the right to a wife, and I could bring a wife with me on my travels, I suppose. That's in 1 Corinthians 9. So there are several categories of people who should stay single. Now, about teasing. There's tremendous social pressure, enough already, when someone uh, isn't married in most cultures. Or in Western cultures, someone in, isn't involved in partying and dating. And like First Peter 4.4, 4, there's a tremendous amount of abuse. I remember one conference a few years back, I was, I was talking in confidence to a brother who who asked me, he approached me on this very matter, what I thought about celibacy. And I asked him the questions. He said, I don't need the, the sex. I don't need the companionship. I'm really happy, content as I am. I'm getting older. I'm about 40 now. And, and I said, you've been teased a lot, haven't you? He said, yes, you know, constantly. I said, that's just wrong. I'm sorry they've treated you that way. You shouldn't be teased. Well, it wasn't half an hour later. And I'm not going to tell you where the conference was, or I'm not going to give it away. But one of the speakers actually, in his message to everyone, called out this brother who I had just talked with and teased him about still being single. I think those who haven't thought this through theologically, I mean, even if you weren't a sensitive person, if you'd studied the doctrine in church history and just in the Bible, you wouldn't do that. 
it's it's not right. It's unfair. It puts singles in a very difficult position, especially those who are uh, on in years and they've been praying for a spouse and it's not working out for whatever reason. And they're almost at the point of accepting that because they want to do what's right. I trust that people have good hearts. And then they get teased like this and it just sets them up for disappointment and, and, and shame. Okay, here's the last thing. Social pressure in the world is tremendously strong. Christians follow a countercultural savior. Pressure in all the world is to marry. You get it in Africa. You get it in Latin America. You get it in the Middle East. I see this wherever I go. In the same way that there's a stigma on those who don't marry, there's a stigma attached to not having children. And, and really, sadly, uh, even adoption is not accepted socially in many countries. But if you don't have children, the woman is barren. You know, that's the phrase. Why isn't it, you know, half the time it's probably the man's issue, not the woman's issue, but the woman is blamed. And there's that stigma, just as when the first child is a daughter and the people say, well, maybe next time you'll have a son. You know, better luck next time. That stigma against being female. See, Christ came to set us free from these kinds of prejudices. He was a countercultural savior. And Christians must not capitulate. How are we any different from the ambient society if we uh, maintain this pressure and tease and joke just like the world does? That's not right. So, that's the point. Stay single. If that is required by your situation, or if you have the gift, you can accept it. Do what Paul did and follow what he taught. Do what Jesus taught. Accept it and follow the example of our Lord for greater service and freedom. The way of celibacy should be honored. It has a long pedigree. It's effective and it's biblical. And this needs to be incorporated into our teaching, and our culture. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' series on To Marry or Not to Marry. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.